This episode is brought to you by McDonald's. Not sure you've heard of them. <laughs> Up and coming uh, little restaurant, but they're making it. They're the little engine that could. You know, the moment of bliss when you spot your fries being scooped into the carton and suddenly time slows down. I have that all the time. I love their fries. Oh, yeah. yes. McDonald's fries hit different when they're free. That's another thing I'll tell you. And when they belong to your friends, there's no better feeling than thinking you're out of fries and then you discover extra fries at the bottom of your bag or else my son still hasn't finished his fries yeah. and I'm done with mine. And uh, he used to be weaker than me so I could just take them. Yeah. Now I can't because he's stronger than me. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's no wrong way to eat McDonald's fries, but we all think our way is the best way. And I like stealing them from someone else. That's my favorite <laughs> way. Get your favorite McDonald's fries today. McDonald's, check them out sometime. They're everywhere. For years, I just dreaded going to the dentist. But at Advanced Dentistry, I don't have to. First and foremost, they want you to feel comfortable when you walk in, like you'll feel it. Whereas in the past, I might have gone into the dentist and thinking, I might feel some pain at some point. But with IV sedation, it can be something that you don't dread. If you've been avoiding the dentist because of fear, worry, or just not wanting to be judged, you're not alone. Visit NoFearDentist.com to learn how IV sedation can change your life. Hi, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> all right, we got this. Here we go. I Because I know, I use my name constantly. Yeah. <laughs> um, hi, my name is Jim Downey. And I feel entirely unapologetic about being Conan O'Brien's friend. Fall is here, hear the yell, back to school, ring the bell. Walking blues, climb the fence, books and pens. I can tell that we are gonna be friends. Yes, I can tell that we are gonna be friends. Hello and welcome to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend, joined as always by Sona Movsesian. Hello, Sona. Hi, you said my name so nicely. I did. With a lot of respect, HR told me to do that. And uh, <laughs> Matt Corley. How are you? That seemed a little indifferent. That a little dismissive is what I was yeah, going for. Yeah. Well, well done. <laughs> Mission accomplished. How are you guys? You know, I'm okay. Yeah, good. That's all I need to know. Oh, okay. And um, I didn't even answer, so yeah. let's yeah. keep going. I just plow okay. right ahead. All right. <laughs> Do you even listen to us when no. you ask? Oh, okay, okay. No, I just plow right ahead. All right, okay. I can barely see you guys. You're just blobs. When I really care about someone, they come into sharp focus. Oh, oh man. Yeah, yeah. Oh. And then when not, it's just like sort of... Sort of like gray clouds. You're so you can't glasses? see this. Wait, at all? which one are you? No, not <laughs> no. a thing. Okay. I'm just assuming you're waving at me. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. God forbid you were giving me the two middle fingers, but I know that that couldn't happen. Yeah. As your employer. Um, mm. I'm just curious, have either of you been to the dermatologist recently? Ah, uh, yeah. Good. I'm just I doing, have. I'm doing a public service announcement very oh. quickly. Uh, Sono, you went? Just like two weeks ago. Oh, I didn't even know that. I'm just, yeah. I'm, just I'm throwing this out there. And everything good? Everything's good. Okay. I have a um, clogged. Uh, Oil duct on my eye. I don't know if you guys have noticed. There's like a little. Oh, you know what's so funny? Clump been, thing behind your back. We've been calling you old oily eye. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. Right. Yeah, 
we were like, where's old oily eye? And then everyone knows what we're talking about. What do you mean? A, a clog? There's like a little, do you there see is, that? I see it. Yeah, it looks like a pimple, but it's just, it's been there for over a month. Yeah, it's just a, a duck that's filled with oil. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Did they say why it's filling with oil? I don't know. No, they don't. I, I think I'm just like that kind of, I have to put a warm uh, compress on my eyes. So I put a tea bag on there every morning. Can't mm. they drain it somehow? I don't think it works that way. It'll just refill no. with more and oil. They said I could take an antibiotic, but I have I don't do antibiotics. No, why would you? By the way, <laughs> my dad is a microbiologist. His whole life has been devoted to antibiotics and their use. There you go. But antibiotic resistance. Yes, he would he say would don't overuse them. Yeah. I'm not sure he'd agree with anything you're saying. He would agree with me. I talked to him. Oh, good. Yeah, um, we talk well, about how is you. he? I haven't spoken to him in years. Oh, uh, yeah. He, we he, had a falling out. He called me to apologize about you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Matt, how are you? Uh, I'm good. I go every six months. Because me too. I me have too. Oh. more moles than a three acre farm. You know what I mean? You mean the farm that has a lot of moles digging underneath That's it? That's what I mean. Yeah. So not the other mole. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. Well, I showed you my back here once in studio. Yeah, yeah. Yes. It was hideous. Yeah. It was a constellation. Yeah. And every time I go in, they take something. Oh, Conan, I know you go. I go every six months. Yeah. But the assistant who uh, took over for you because you're so busy oh. writing books where you sell me out and uh, oh, okay. babbling away on the podcast. You wrote the foreword. That's and true. this is your podcast. So. That's true. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> wow. He took me down immediately. But he took over and um, he let it go to like nine months Uh-oh. without having David. David. And I said, David, I could die. I've got to go in twice a year because I'm just, you know, I was... Genetically engineered to live in a bog in Northern Ireland. Yeah, you should. And then be here. I should. Now I'm living near the Mexican border, and uh, I'm not supposed to be here. And so I just went, and um, fascinating. It's always fascinating because I'm covered in freckles, and I would think every freckle would be a potential, you know, something that would need to be looked at and cut off. And this woman can just tell the difference instantly. She's like, "Nah, freckle, freckle, freckle. Hmm, this one looks suspicious." And I look at them, and they just look like all the other freckles. Uh. So I don't know if she's just randomly. I'm like, well, he's here. It's an extra $45 if I take some. Oh, that one looks like a troublemaker. She's selling them. How long does it take for her to do the full body scam scan? Because that's what I'm worried about with my doctor. You called it scam. Was that a uh, Freudian slip? (laughs) The old full body scam? I'm worried my doctor does it so quickly, he's got to be missing some things. Yeah, you get worried about that. When they're real quick and breezy about it, I I think. But they're so good. They've seen it all. Mm -hmm. They've seen it all like Bogey and Bacall. So they know. They know when they see it. So anyway, she... She said, well, I'm going to do this, do this. And then she saw something. She said, I'm going to have to cut this one out and give you a couple of stitches. I saw that on your neck. I yeah. did, too. I, yeah. I look right at oil it. Duct. You've got a missing uh, We're neck. falling apart. So yeah. it's in the back of my neck. And I've got these uh, two stitches there. And then she put a big bandage on it. And she said, just to keep it in case it seeps a little. This is, And I know this is why people tune into the podcast to hear yeah. about my seepage. Uh, but Come um, on. Well, come on. What's it seeping? Uh, you know, well, oh, oily eye over here is going to ask me about. <laughs> it's, it's suddenly, you're the head of the foreign seepage committee of the Senate. Uh, oh, wow. So I don't think you have wow. a, you don't have an oily leg to stand on. Wow. But anyway. She cut something off and then she put a big bandage on it and I was going right from there to a meeting and I thought, this looks like I've had a facelift. Do you know oh, what I mean? Really? It does, well, it just looks like 
you know what I mean? People in our business. Yeah. I don't mean your business. Podcasting? Not podcasting, but someone. Uh, but no, your I face doesn't look like you had a facelift. No, I just thought whenever someone in Hollywood has like a lot of bandages around oh, their neck, yeah. people oh. might immediately think, oh, he got the old throat job. <sighs> and it's just on one side on the back of your neck. Right? I know, but that's a very specific. Uh, one sided face stretch. <laughs> Trust me, I can see who's like... had it out there. It Emma Stone. <laughs> She had work done on one quarter of an inch of the back right side of her neck. Did you get a facelift? No. I'm the only person who's encouraged by fans to get face work. They say, get something done. Fix that melon is what people shout to me on the street. Fix that melon. (laughs) Yeah. I think you look good. Thanks a lot, pal. That's nice. Yeah. I mean, you still have a really good jawline. Thank you very much. Thank you. I'd I'd take that jawline. Well, Well, I thought you were going to say, I'd do you. I thought that's, that's what where it sounded like. That's, and you know that's, what? That's a given. That's where you were. That's ha- a oh, given. Yeah. Oh, okay. And yeah. you know what? That shouldn't be something that's like, oh, what? Yeah. You should be, we're all. What? Sexuality, as we know, is a spectrum. Oh, and we've reported this to HR. You should know Conan and I are, are sex partners. <laughs> yeah. Look, uh-huh. sexuality is just a <laughs> swirling, twirling spectrum, and I'm all over it, baby. You we're know, sex friends. When yeah. I think about people who are real adventurous with sex, I think about Matt Corley and Conan O'Brien. Well, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, we're sexual pirates on the high seas. <laughs> yeah. On the high seas of jizz. They call me Indiana Bones. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, God. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you too. Just fuck. All you do is. Well, it's not. I mean, there is some romance. It's not just pure. No, we get to it pretty much right away. Really, for me, I'm kind of invested. Well, I'm always in a hurry. I got things to do. Hey, Indiana Bones, get over here. Yeah, we got to get to work on this. (laughs) Get to work on this. Yep, I know the sex lingo that everyone's using. Hey, we got to get to work on this. See. There's work to be done in this sexual region. Yeah. By sex, do you guys mean just like building a model airplane? Yeah. Do you yeah. think that's what sex yes. is? Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Of the right, yeah, of the Wright oh. Brothers' first flyer. Cool, yeah. cool, cool, Launched cool, at yeah. Kitty Hawk. Yeah. He did a whole diorama of Kitty Hawk. Yeah. Isn't that what sex is? Yeah, you guys, sex it real good. Oh, yeah. boy, you should see these dioramas we built. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, okay. moving on. All right. When you brought up dermatology today, <laughs> did you just assume it would go to a sexual Did you ever think you would say high seas of jizz? Yeah. Because that's what you said. I didn't think I would say that. Okay. But let's admit it. I got the riz. Isn't that the new word? There's a new word now. Is it the new word? Riz? Riz? We're, we're going to play? Is, no, is it riz or riz? Riz. Riz for charisma. Thank you. For charisma. Would you say I've got the riz? You've got some riz. No, yeah. you've got kajisma. We've been, we, I tried oh, to get us boy. off of that, Matt. Oh, well. I worked hard to steer the boat away you from those. You got us there, though. And then that... my job was to get us out. And okay. then this boob over here brought us right back in again. So riz. I'm shocked you know this. This is a word that's out there. And they talk about different young people in Hollywood or influencers who've got riz. Okay. And it's short for charisma. Yeah. And wouldn't you say, Sona, that I have some riz? I would I would actually say you have riz. Yeah. You're rizzed up. Yeah. Yeah, you're really rizzed. What if I opened a hotel called The Riz? No. And I greeted people in people, the lobby. No, people... People with Riz don't do that. You're they don't. Right. That sounds. That's desperate. What about the Riz Carlton? Yeah. Ugh, you just punned it. Ugh, pun. Cool people don't. No, do that's puns. actually wrong. Oh, puns are back. No, they're not. Oh no, no, puns are the worst. No, puns are back. Lowest form of hell. No, puns are back. <laughs> Lowest uh, form of hell is a pun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hitler in hell right now is like, I'm glad I never made the pun. <laughs> <laughs> He's like looking down a couple of levels. 
At least I never did that. <laughs> he's being molested with a flaming pitchfork 24-7. And still he's like, at least I didn't make a pun. <laughs> My guest today is undoubtedly one of the greatest comedy writers of all time. He worked at Saturday Night Live for over 30 years, making him the longest tenured writer in that show's history. Uh, he also, on a personal note, championed me very early in my career. I owe him everything. He's a genius. I'm delighted that he's with us today. Jim Downey, welcome. Entirely unapologetic. Huh. And let me explain. Okay. Let me explain. Okay. There are many, many uh, figures in our society who contribute an enormous amount to our culture and people who have unconventional personal lives. Um, <laughs> and, and yet they're, they seem exempt from criticism. Um, you know, uh, Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah. Well, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. No, no, let me finish. I no, see Jeffrey it. Epstein. I see it. No one, no one, you know, uh, uh, criticizes him. And yet, oh, wait a minute, I wait a minute. To, I have to apologize. <laughs> For the fact that I know Conan O'Brien. No, wait a minute, and wait that a minute. Is a double standard. <laughs> Jim, it's wrong. Jim, it's hold, on. Okay. hold on. Look, hold on. Hold on. Much has been said. Much has been said about Jeffrey Epstein. Terrible things. No, no Jeff, Jeff, I'm talking about Jeff Epstein, the New York financier. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We're talking about the same Jeff Epstein. No. Yes. No. Yes. I, what? I never, I never heard. Oh, it was a big story in the news. Huge. No. Yes. For you to say no one ever Jeff said. Jeff Epstein. Yes. Jeff Epstein. Yes. The financier. With the island. Yes. He had an island yes. that I've never been to. Yeah. yeah. I'm pretty sure. With respect, if there was some news about Jeff Epstein, I would have heard. No, I don't know where you, what rock you've been under. <laughs> it was a huge story. And I have to, Jeff Epstein is, he, I have to tell you, he's gone. He's dead. What do you mean? He's dead. He's dead. He's no. dead. <laughs> Sorry. Nice try. If Jeff, <laughs> if Jeff Epstein, if Jeff Epstein were deceased, uh -huh. I'm pretty sure I would know about it. Now, I, I admit I have not. Probably since the pandemic, I have not talked to him. That would make sense. That would make but sense. He's been I, uh, dead for a number of years, Jim. I'll tell you, there's one easy way. Let's call Jelaine Maxwell. No, we're not calling Jelaine Maxwell. Why not? Okay. She's in prison. She's in prison for crimes she committed with Jeff Epstein. Jelaine's in prison. Yes. Stop calling her Jelaine. How do you know these people? Jim. All right. Jim, listen. Okay. Listen I'm to just me. saying, I don't. I, I'm your friend. You you know what? Whatever your it doesn't matter what you do in your private life. So. <laughs> I don't do anything in my private life. Okay. It's, but anyway, I'm your friend. All right. Well, thank you for the worst. And I make no apology. For the worst, worst introduction to this podcast I've ever heard. Uh, no. Now, I'm going to put the focus on you, sir, because I'm going to tell you something. All right. There are some listeners, this may shock you, who may say, I don't know of this Jim Downey because we're listened to by billions of people around the world. A lot of people in Asia, Pacific Rim countries, and they may not be familiar with Jim Downey. And I want to explain to them right now that you are considered the greatest comedy writer, possibly of the mid to late 20th century. <laughs> Petering out very rapidly in the early 2000s. Yeah, that was when a you just hit a wall. I, uh, you launched so many careers. Uh, you are intimidatingly funny, and you are uh, referred to by 
uh, many comedians as the great comedy writer, the great comedy writer that uh, we all revere. And you're just going to have to accept that right now. What do you think of that? Well, that's that's very kind of you. The only thing I, I would say, I mean, I, you know, that there are funnier comedy, there are better comedy writers than me. I, but I, you know, I, I'm good enough that I could, you know, play with them. I, I just felt like who I would got you this. think? Who do you think was better than you? Well, I mean, there's, I mean, Robert Smigel is a fucking brilliant guy. Robert Smigel Jack is Handy. shit. But <laughs> I'm saying this. Listen, I'm going to say this. I'm a good friend of Robert's. Robert was the original head writer on my late night show, and Robert and I are good friends. But I tell him this almost every day. He's a piece of shit. Okay. He couldn't write his way out of a wet paper bag. Jack Handy. I didn't even know he was a comedy writer. <laughs> You know, okay, well, I, I thought he had I an ice cream good, concern. But you've, you've turned me around on Jack. <laughs> but no, I, I would well, say. Conan, you, you, you could have been the greatest ever if you weren't so fucking lazy. <laughs> I mean, some weeks it was, it was all, it was all I could do to get you to show up to work. I'm sorry. I, you know, it's like Conan. It's Wednesday. <laughs> the others have been here since Monday. I'm tired. I'm. I did a show. Everyone did a show last week. That is a spot-on impression. And Jim, I had other interests. You know, I got into glass blowing, and it yes. was something that I enjoyed. And I made you a beautiful, beautiful glass beaker. This was That's something right. that I pursued on my in my spare time. I, I I have that beaker. It's it's a it's a treasured <laughs> possession. I will uh, I will tell you that yes, Robert Smigel, also one of the greats of all time, Jack Candy. We could play this game forever, but I just want to walk people through your pedigree. You come to Saturday Night Live at almost the beginning, 1976. Uh, you're there for the that formative four of those five seasons that begin that show. Really, the nuclear bomb blast with the classic cast, you're there. You were very young when you were hired. You were right out of college. Yeah, from I was a little 22. 22. And your first day of work was also Bill Murray's first day of work. Is that That's true? That's right. We, we shared an office for four years. And, uh, and I, I came, the Chevy's last two weeks were like my first two weeks. So we mm -hmm. kind of overlapped. I wish that it hadn't been my first two years of adulthood because it was a very strange way to enter adulthood. You know, I, I didn't appreciate all the stuff that was going on around me at the time. Right. I uh, would love to, uh, to, to get to, you know, reconfigure those early years. I mean, you're there, John Belushi's on the cast. I remember you telling me once, so he, he, he started coming by with records and playing us all these old, you know, Stax records and <laughs> blues records and he'd sing them and you acted annoyed when it became, the Blues Brothers became this massive tidal wave, but you had this different perspective, well, which is... I, I thought, I mean, the Blues Brothers, Aykroyd always, he understood that it was it was kind of a joke. It right. was, they, it was a, a goofy kind of thing to do. Although the Danny, first time I saw it, I saw it as, a, I mean, it was Danny's, really a sketch to me. Yeah. Danny was a great, but John became, he got very, very serious, took about, and he thought of himself as a musician. Mm-hmm. And and Danny was actually really good harmonica player and 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 dancer and so Danny that began as a uh, warm up act yes. for the show. It was definitely like a comedy thing. We were yeah. having fun with it, yeah. and the audience fucking loved it because we had our house band, as I know you know, incredible had some house of band. the most yeah. incredible. Like you had to know a fair bit about music to write, but it would be like, wait a minute, the Howard Johnson mm -hmm. is your tuba player. 
the Lou Marini, the Al Rubin, the, you know, yeah, yeah the David Sanborn. That was our fucking house band. See, this is an important part of my life because you get started 76. I come along in 1988 and I have a very clear memory of you brought me on. I remember walking the hallways at night when I was trying to think of an idea and seeing these iconic photos of the original cast, the 1975 to 1980 cast, you know, Chevy Chase, Aykroyd, Belushi, Lorraine Newman, Jane Curtin. And at the time I'm 24 years old, something like that. And I'm looking at these photos thinking, wow, that was like a thousand years ago. They looked yeah. like civil war photos. To me. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. this is in 1988. And I had a very clear memory of, well, I wish I had been around for that because this thing is probably at the end. <laughs> I had a very clear, I'm not being a jackass or being a wise guy. I just yeah. thought, well, this probably has a few more years and I'm lucky to be a small part of it. But it's just, it, it's, it's amazing the, that you were there at the beginning and the show now is about to celebrate its 50th. Yeah, I was wondering how they were going to do that. But, um, but it is, I confirm that it is going to be as it should be February of 2025 because you were around when we did the 15th anniversary, yeah. but we did it in 1989. Yeah. And I was one of the producers. I'm going, uh, Lauren, the show came on the air in 1975. Shouldn't this be next year, <laughs> the 15th anniversary? I mean, and he's going, no, because if you count from, <laughs> yeah. this is the 15th, <laughs> yeah, see, yeah, you know. Yeah. And yeah, but people don't think of it I think that it's because way. Prince said he would do it then. And <laughs> yeah, I, think, I, I think literally think something. it was, I remembered Prince being there for that. I remembered it being, uh, and again, I thought, wow, I'm here for the 15th anniversary of Saturday Night Live. <laughs> It'll never make 20. I'll be long gone by then. Probably dead. Because <laughs> of my lifestyle at the time. Uh, but it was just uh, incredible to me. And you wrote so many classic sketches. What are a few of your favorites from that era? Say 76 to 80. A couple that just resonated with people, but they also were personal favorites of yours. Um, things that I, that I wrote entirely by myself, um, that I began to develop a specialty that, um, of, of, of foreign language pieces. Yes. I wrote a, 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 a game show called Ken S. Mas Macho, oh, which yes. was, a, I remember that. Uh, yeah. um, it started with a, with a friend of mine who grew up in Colombia and who speaks just six languages fluently, but he used to tell me just the hilarious stories about American television shows from the 50s mm -hmm. that, that he grew up watching and their Spanish titles. Mm -hmm. I, I, I know, I, know I, mean, I, I love the Spanish language. It's actually a, a majestic sounding Beautiful, language. Beautiful, gorgeous musical language. I know, yeah. it, it's, it's much more, more uh, it's a much grander language than English, but there's something about like American 50s stuff. So like there was a show um, that maybe you've heard about it. I'm sure none of, no one in this room is old enough to have actually seen it. Now I'm barely old enough, but uh, Sea Hunt mm -hmm. starring Lloyd Bridges, sure. who was the father of Jeff Bridges. Mm -hmm. And um, it was it was about a, a, a guy who was a scuba diver and the yeah. different things he does. This is the 1950s. Yeah. And, and the, <laughs> the Spanish title was Investigador Submarino. <laughs> And the and then yeah, yeah. there was the fugitive. There was the fugitive with David Jansen and my friend would go 
El Fugitivo <laughs> con David Janssen. <laughs> and, and so, and that started this thing where we started getting into a bunch of, so the idea was, it was a game show. The, 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 the questions you won or lost by, by guessing correctly who was more macho yeah. of two different celebrities. Yeah. And, and, and the whole point was just to do a sketch entirely in Spanish. Yes. So that, that Billy, Bill Murray played the host and, mm-hmm. and Gilda was one of the contestants and uh, Ricky Nelson mm-hmm. was the, was the host. And, but my favorite part of that piece, the part, you know, it was the part of the show where now let's meet the contestants, you know? So we've done mm-hmm. a round of like, it was like, it was like, um, Kenneth Mas Macho. Fernando Lamas <laughs> or Ricardo Montalban. Fernando <laughs> Mas Macho, Lamas Montalban. <laughs> and it's like um, Ricky Nelson, you know, eh, Fernando Lamas oh, Ricardo Montalban es un poquito más macho. <laughs> and so, there was, there was, so then it was like, now let's meet the contestants. So... He goes up, and this is the thing that made me laugh. It's Gilda, and it's like, and she, and she's fucking so brilliant. Yeah, she was like yeah. that giggly kind of excited. Yeah, yeah. And he's calming her down in Spanish, you know, mm-hmm. and and um, and he goes, uh, you know, and I forget the Spanish of it, but he says, you know, what do you do? I'm a I'm a housewife, and he goes, ¿Qué profesión es tu esposo? You know, uh, what what does your husband do? Mi esposo exterminador, you know, an exterminator. <laughs> oh. Verdad. Exterminador es profesión muy macho. And, and she goes, and it's like, ¿qué tipo insectos extermina? What kind of insects does he exterminate? Oh, cucarachas, mosquitos, todos los insectos. <laughs> So where else can you go surfing and skiing the same day, huh? I don't know. Or check out a world-class art museum and then camp at a dark sky sanctuary that night, huh? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, where else can you hike through Redwoods and then get a luxury spa treatment? Where? Well, you live there. California. (laughs) California, Sona. No matter where you go across the state, you'll find a way to play. I'm a California resident, so are you. Sona, you are a lifelong California resident. I'm a lifer. I love this place. This is a beautiful state. Gorgeous. So many different, wonderful ecosystems in one state. You can hang out by a Palm Springs pool. You know, you can go whale watching. You can go hiking in Yosemite. And then uh, talk about the great cities in California. You get all this amazing food, sushi, whatever you want. They got it in California. Hey, If you can't find it in California, man, you got a problem. Yeah. I shouldn't have done that. I made that up on my own. Anyway, I love California. Discover why California is the ultimate playground. Head to visitcalifornia.com to start planning your trip today. You know, it's incredible to have the flexibility to work in all sorts of places, whether it's taking video calls from the park, or emailing large files while you're grocery shopping. Sona, this is good for you. Is it? Because you're always 
doing whatever work you do for me from fun locations. But I like blaming it on not having reception. I know, but you can't do that here. Working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network, which is why you should check out T-Mobile, Sona. Then you got no excuses. They're America's largest and fastest 5G network. With T-Mobile, you'll be covered in more places with the 5G speed you need for your life on the go. Plus, they also cover more highway miles with 5G than anybody else. Check it out if you don't believe me. Hey, Blay, you've got T-Mobile, right? I do. I was actually just up in the woods in Idlewild. It was fantastic for the weekend. And uh, my T-Mobile didn't miss it. My T-Mobile phone didn't miss it. You know, I wouldn't think you'd need a cell phone because you speak so loudly into a microphone. (laughs) Well, I had to look some stuff up. Just take it it down I didn't know what brunch was. I can hear him. When the restaurant's open for brunch. Okay. uh, So I used uh, my T-Mobile coverage to check out brunch. That's all right. Anyway, wherever you are, you know, take it from the loud speaking Blay. If you're on the go, you want to be in the know, you want to make the show. What? Uh, T-Mobile. Okay. That's the one for you. That was I should weird. have rhymed it with go. Anyway, <laughs> find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. Fastest based on median overall combined 5G speeds according to analysis by Ookla of Speed Test Intelligence Data Q3 2023. C 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. way in today, Sona, I was thinking about just how much has changed over the years. Yeah. You know, when I was a kid, we were all dancing the Jitterbug and the Watusi. And then you grow up now and there's mosh pits and everything's gone (laughs) cuckoo. There's this new thing called rap. I don't know what's happening anymore. But guess what? In a world full of change, there's one thing that hasn't changed. Mm -hmm. The great taste of Miller Lite. Are you with me on oh, this? Oh, yeah, I'm right there with you. Yeah, and you know, another thing that hasn't changed is that it's less filling. Yeah. I hate a filling beer. When I have a filling beer, I just want to sit down in a beanbag chair for six days, but not oh. with Miller Lite. So what's the best thing about the original light beer? Mm-hmm. Back in 1975, the big debate in America was what's more important, that it it's less filling Miller Lite or it tastes great. Yeah. The cool thing is when we all realized it's both. Okay. It's less filling and it tastes great. Yeah, right. Everybody wins. Everybody wins. Miller Lite keeps it simple. Undebatable quality. Great taste. Only 96 calories. You don't have to choose what's best. Miller Lite has great taste and it's less filling. Tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Lite delivered right to your door, visit MillerLite.com slash Conan. Or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Yeah. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories per 12 ounces. Fewer cows and carbs than premium regular beer. have such a musical ear you wrote a sketch you know those 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 classic hercules movies you oh, know what i'm yeah, talking yeah, about yeah, where yeah. they're dubbed uh-huh. they're badly uh, they're badly dubbed yeah. and you can tell they're dubbed and the, the 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 lips don't quite match up and i remembered uh i'm pretty sure uh it was bill murray yes. in it and you were the voice of the dubbing yeah it was hercules. it was um a hercules uh it was the return it's called the return of hercules and i and i want always wanted to do a dubbing yeah. piece like based on the old again for someone born when i was in the 50s these hercules movies were constantly on because they, they they were on like saturday afternoon and and it was just the, the hilariously bad dubbing uh it was uh dana played like the evil king dana mm-hmm. carvey mm-hmm. Nora dunn was 
the beautiful girl who is Hercules, you know, love yeah. interest. And then it's Billy as Hercules. And in the sound booth was me, Tom Davis, and Jan Hooks. Yeah. And, and I'm doing Billy's voice and... Davis is doing the evil king. He's yeah. Dana's part. And and then and Jan was doing Nora's voice. And so we were doing it live and they were like blah, 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 flapping their lips sort yeah, of yeah. To, to sort of. And, the actors and, are just moving their mouths. Yeah. And yeah. But but sort of trying to, you know, it, it, it had to sort of look like they were trying. wanted to be 60 percent on it, yeah. you know, but it was just the whole premise was that Hercules was was out of shape. So I don't remember too many of the details, but it was like. um it was, this is Tom doing, uh, the, the evil king is going, I will make you this offer. If, <laughs> you know, if, um, if you could, uh, uh, if you could pass a test of strength, I will spare you this life. And it's like, and so, and yeah, so yeah, then yeah, Hercules yeah. Go, I go, what kind of test did you, did you propose? <laughs> what, what kind of test do you propose? It's like, do you see that boulder? No one, it is that giant boulder. No one has ever lifted it. If you can lift that boulder, I will spare the girl's life. And then, and then I go, and then I go, that boulder is too large. I can lift a smaller one. Such a non-Hercules thing to say. <laughs> that boulder is and too so large. Anyway, I can lift so, a smaller one. And so he, he pulls a muscle, trying to lift the boulder. And then, <laughs> so they, I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. But it was just, it was just like goofy stuff. Like, um, it's Hercules disgusting. It's like, oh my God. The mighty Hercules. I don't mean to be cruel, but you have really let yourself go. And, and Hercules is like, I learned to my sorrow, Laetes, that if you don't keep up your exercise regimen, the muscle turns to fat. <laughs> now, I later, I later, I basically was doing Lee Van Cleef. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, but yeah, basically, sure. I later used, Mike Myers asked me to do that voice for Wayne's World. So I was the voice of her father. Yeah. Of the girl's father, who, who's played by the actor James Hong. Mm -hmm. Anyway, that was my voice. Well, it, oh. It, yes. Oh. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, cool. so, so the, the, uh, now we're, we're, cro we're encroaching on your era, Sona. <laughs> no. When now. you were doing the voice, I was like, that sounds like the part in Wayne's World where yeah. he's yeah, like trying to, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there was a piece that you did that I think of as a quintessential Jim Downey piece. And this piece, and this is when I was there. So this is in the late 80s, early 90s, but you did a piece a commercial parody. It was for a bank that would just make change. Oh, change, yeah, yeah, yeah. change bank. Oh, yeah. And it occurred to me, there was something that just delighted me so much. And it's very popular online. And you can, you can, you should go and check it out because it, you're, you star in the piece because no one could do it as well as you. And you are the spokesperson for change bank. It was you over explaining yeah, yeah. what we do at change bank. If you know, it's, if you give us a five, we'll give you four ones and four quarters. We'll also give you, and, 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 and breaking it down into all the denominations. And I remember talking to Jack Handy about this and we, and he was like, nobody loves to over, <laughs> no one loves the comedy of over explaining more than Jim Downey telling you much more than you need to yeah. know. And it's a very specific way. And there's it's, a music to it. You have a musical ear well, for, I mean, I that know, kind of comedy. But it is something that always made me laugh, just deliberately wasting someone else's time. Yes, yes, just yes. Explaining, <laughs> explaining something to them that needs no explanation to begin with. But <laughs> we got it. We yeah, got we it. We got it. And so, um, and I've done a number of pieces where that is like a thread. 
and and I was I remember I remember one that I'm not even sure if it got on, but it was uh, when the Padres. I think it was like I was a big Cubs fan, and when mm-hmm. the when the Padres eliminated the Cubs in 1984, uh, 19, it was 1984. I don't know, um, and I, I don't care anyway. <laughs> okay, but anyway, the the Padres and and the Padres were owned by. Joan Crock, the widow of Ray Crock, mm-hmm. who started McDonald's. It was Joan Crock, and the joke was that she didn't know anything about baseball, so mm-hmm. she has to address the team for the game. And it's like, and and um, and to the players, I can't stress this enough: when you're at bat, hit a home run, <laughs> <laughs> hit a home run, and I, and I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why I say that because I'll tell you why <laughs> because when you when you hit a home run, you get to run around all of the bases, all of them. You get to run. You don't know. You don't have to stop at all. And and so and the, and the players are like, uh, Mrs. Croc. I mean, we like to get started here, you know. Um, and then so Change Bank was just yes. was and, and I wrote that for Kevin Nealon. Yeah. And and I and I'm afraid like it was a case of like I mean you know me I'm not I'm not like a like a bully kind of no, director no. guy but I was giving Kevin a lot of notes. And Kevin is like, you know, he was the most beloved. Yes. Uh, it remains. I just saw him yesterday. Everyone, you know, loved the guy. And and I even and I got even on Kevin's nerves a little bit. And, and not, it wasn't a, yeah. like a blow thing because, Jim, maybe, maybe, why don't you do it? I mean, you, I mean, I'll be in it, you know, and, and I actually, and I, that was one of the very few times where I, I went like, you know, actually, I mean, I actually would be good for that just yeah. because. You need it doesn't hurt to be played by a person with no camera presence. You know, <laughs> you look and, like someone working just, at a bank. Yeah, yes, it's, yeah. I just and I had on the and I was like really talking a little too fast and too excited about something and yeah, um, yeah. and so that was. I have this theory that virtually anyone can act in the right part. Yes, and and there's a genius in in recognizing what someone would do really well mm-hmm. and and putting them in that right position and and a great you know there's a continuum that ends say at you know daniel day lewis say you know who can do pretty much anything mm-hmm. you know um and then i'm down more the other end of that but here and there there are things that i can do where where i use my um lack of camera presence you know? well i'm gonna just because you brought it up i'm gonna skip way ahead of what i wanted to talk about next and just say quickly remind people that in 2005 you're in There Will Be Blood, which remains one of my all-time favorite movies. Oh, I wow. love There Will Be Blood. Of course, uh, Paul Thomas You probably Anderson. think of it as a Daniel Day-Lewis movie, but <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I'd be wrong. Some might even give it to the child. Who goes to death? It's a movie, and uh, I remember going and seeing that movie and absolutely loving it. It's so in my wheelhouse, and you have these scenes with Daniel Day-Lewis, uh, and I completely believe that your job was selling land in California <laughs> In 1903, and it was was a real thing because I was like, "That's Jim Downey. That's my friend. He he gave me my start." Oh my God, I, I lost myself in the scene. I forgot it was you. It was great. Well, I'm I, I I had known Paul Thomas Anderson. Weirdly, met him when he was 10 years old, when his father Ernie Anderson I arranged to be booked at Letterman when I was the head writer at Letterman in mm-hmm. 1983. Ernie Anderson used to be the, back in the 80s, was the voice of ABC, if you remember those. It's a, the love boat. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, 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 Vegas, yeah. Vegas, Dan, yeah, it's yeah. the mob. It's the love boat. <laughs> and, and so he brings Paul as a 10-year-old kid, 
And because it's, why am I my son? This is my son. And I remember meeting him and then I saw him again. That was 1983. I saw him again. Well, no, he wouldn't have been 10. Whatever. What, 1983 to 1998, 15? Yeah. No, it was, it was something like that. And he, he might have been younger then. Doesn't matter. Um, no, it I, does. Oh, okay. <laughs> I need to know his exact age or this story doesn't make it to the final cut. I, I don't know Paul Davis Anderson. No, <laughs> the whole thing I falls do. apart. And you weren't no. even in There Will Be Blood. <laughs> Give me that. Give me that. You oh, never God. wrote for Saturday Night Live. <laughs> but it says here, a close friend of Epstein. Um, <laughs> that is true. That is true. <laughs> but can I say something? I'm going to, yeah. because I need to get you to, I got to corral you a little bit here. I can I do it fast? Paul Thomas I don't Anderson. think you can. And then he then he I meet him again when he's doing um, Boogie Bo Nights. Boogie Nights, yeah. And going out with uh, my Rudolph, uh, he decides I have some kind of look that he simply has to have in his movie. So <laughs> years later, he's casting There Will Be Blood, and he basically is holding up the entire production, trying to find me. And it was had been a year, a kind of a drinky year for me, and I kind of disappeared. <laughs> sure. And he tracked me down, and that's what sort of pulled me out of my situation. Oh, good. And, and I flew me out to um, El Paso, and then I drive seven hours to Marfa, Texas, and that night was in a fitting room with Daniel Day-Lewis. Um, <laughs> Can I just say, that's the craziest intervention I've ever heard of in my life. <laughs> I know. I'm really worried about Jim. He's really hit the bottle. Go get him and put him in a Paul Thomas Anderson movie. <laughs> put him with did. Daniel Day in a scenes with Daniel Day Lewis, the greatest living actor. Yes, that'll snap so him not, out of it. And I remembered, I remembered saying to him like, "Paul, this is this is fucking madness. It's fucking Daniel Day Lewis." And, and I go, "I don't, don't want to just ruin your movie." Mm -hmm. And and he goes like, "No, no, he won't let you. He won't let you be bad." And I go, well, "Okay, I mean, well, I'm gonna see how good he is." The only time I ever heard him use his actual speaking voice, which is incredibly soft and gentle it's like he should it, it's so it's very whispery and, and it's, very, it's very it's very delicate right. i can't do his accent as well but it's incredibly cultured and upper class i think was when he introduced himself the mm -hmm. first time we met which is literally in a dressing room and he's pulling on his his you know his pants and stuff and i'm getting fitted and um then when he introduced me to his wife a couple weeks later when she visited the set and at all of the times he stayed resolutely in character wow which was like a he was doing john houston kind yeah, of a, yeah. you know and so i remember we had to every morning that it was it was shot on the set where they filmed giant outside mm -hmm. of marfa texas a ranch that had been it's been like a 50-year drought there and so they they had all these rules like you couldn't drive more than like 10 miles an hour and that that's an excruciatingly slow pace to be in a car and you had to it, it took like 40 minutes to drive to the set from our home base and so every morning i would be driving with Danny day lewis and he's in character <laughs> talking about what he did over the weekend so it's just like i gotta tell you we went to the riata <laughs> that was the best damn hamburger i've ever had <laughs> and but it's just coming out of that face it was really that's hilarious um, he wouldn't and and he's talking about totally current day things. never <laughs> absolutely yeah <laughs> do you follow soccer <laughs> <laughs> and uh he arranged he arranged that the world cup happened that summer and so he arranged to have the world cup finals pumped into the um Right. To the little theater. My clear memory of that movie is my f my head writer, Mike Sweeney, saw it first. And he came out and he loved it. And he called me up and he said, I just saw a movie 
and it's about you. <laughs> and I said, what? So I went and saw There Will Be Blood. And it's, of course, Plainview is just this maniac. Yeah. And and I said, what are you talking? He beats a guy to death at the end with a, uh -huh. I said, "That's how am I like that? And he went, no, 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 not that specifically. Just the like, you're the kind of guy that would drag yourself through the desert with a broken leg. To, you know what I mean? Yeah, it was something yeah. about the will. You have this like oh, yeah, crazy iron will. But he he's got more intensity. I mean, man, yeah. he he um you know the the here's the thing. I have the original script. I can prove this if you need me to. The original script ended with me. Me, I'm working with him supposedly. He's brought me along when he moves yeah. to LA. Yeah. And I come upon the crumpled body mm -hmm. of Paul Dano. Not the waiter. Yeah. yeah. Not, not, the, I, not the butler. Yeah. Not the I, butler. I'm the butler and I, I, I'm not a butler exactly, right. but I come in and I, I carry Daniel mm -hmm. who's like six, seven or something. I mean, he's, yeah. you know, big guy. And, and I carry him out and I, you know, I feel, okay, I think I can handle it. If he helps me a little bit. Right. The movie ended on my reaction to the horror. Yeah. Literally, that was supposed to be the, the shooting draft. And we started to go, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I that's mean, fantastic. That's great. And so I, th and then they decided, cause I was, they, at one point Paul said, you know what? We're not going to, we're not going to need you for the LA shoot in the mm -hmm. Doheny mansion, which is where they shot it. And I said, I, I, I wasn't hurt because I, I thought it, I always thought it was a lunatic idea to fucking end the movie on me. Right. And 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 he said, but he said like th he's so abusive to you in the early earlier in the movie that it just didn't track that he would forgive you and then bring you along. Yes. In yes. his later career. Yeah. One other thing I'll say about that is Robert Smigel actually went knocked on my apartment door. You know, bang, bang, bang. Because he knows know. Paul Thomas Anderson, yeah. He knows him from Punch Drunk Love. Yeah. He says, Jimmy, Paul's been trying to get a hold of you. And we're like, for what? Oh, Paul Thomas Anderson, what? And he goes, yeah, he, he really wants you to do this movie. And they're holding up the casting. And the studio is really angry because he won't cast the part. And they want to get started. And and, he, and I go, what? what? Is, this is insane. It's a joke. And he goes, you got to, you should do it. You should do it. It's, it's Daniel Day-Lewis. And so... I said, okay, so, and then later that afternoon, I have to get an early fitting at a studio in New York, and then I flew, like, the next day, Saturday, to El Paso, but that night I get fitted, and on Monday at 6 a.m., we did our first scene on camera. <laughs> My proudest boast is that I couldn't have ruined the movie because you'll notice he got the Oscar, so. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um, I have to bring up, I can't go anywhere in this world without people stopping me and saying, uh, I'm sorry about Norm MacDonald. I always think in those moments because he had so many amazing appearances on my show. And I think, well, the person who really needs to be hearing this is Jim Downey because you were the one that pretty much holed up with Norm. You identified Norm as a brilliant guy very quickly. You wanted him to do update. And then you and Norm really crafted that update, which has become, I think, the iconic performance uh, recognized today is the iconic performance on Update of all time. There's a quote here. I just want to read back to you. What I did like about the way we approached Update was that it was akin to the punk movement, what the punk mu movement was for music, just stripped down. We did what we wanted. There was nothing there that was considered to be a form of cheating. We weren't cuddly. We weren't adorable. We weren't warm. We weren't going to do easy political jokes that played for Clapter and let the audience know we were all on the same side. We were going to be mean and to an extent anarchists. And I think that's a perfect distillation well, of of what I don't know where you I said and, that, you but and Norm it's basically did. Um, the thing with with Norm. There were so many. Uh, first of all, he was really really smart. Mm -hmm. He was very intelligent. He could land things. He was clipped and precise. You know, his older brother Neil 
um, yep. is a CBC newscaster. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so Norm had the perfect, what we call the perfect straight line going for in terms of his look. And he just had a great sensibility. Also, he hated he hated easy laughs and, and what my colleague Seth Myers coined the term clapter. I think he did. I give him, always give him credit. It was either him or Tina Fey. I can't remember. But, I'd hear different people. Or but, Oppenheimer. But I, <laughs> one of but, them came up with But clapter is a perfect thing for that kind of like lazy uh, sucking up to the audience. Trump and, sucks. You know? Yeah, yeah. And then you and, get and applause. We, we just, it, we might even agree with that we politically but you know they come on they deserve more than than that kind of shit so just challenge them with stuff even if it's gonna maybe make them uncomfortable like oh i don't like laughing at that but that's fucking funny so i'm gonna have to laugh you yeah, know yeah and of course the oj jokes well here's the were thing. A huge part of that so the oj trial happens and you and norm are writing these jokes that are so fucking fantastic they're just razor blades. Norm is the perfect person to deliver them. Um, there's one you wrote, which I'm, I, I, could, I could try and do, but you might remember it exactly, but it's a picture came up of Johnny Cochran testifying. And OJ sitting next to him and Cochran standing there and he's holding the knit the, cap. The knit cap. The knit cap and... that was found at the scene. And Norm, in his Norm-esque way, says, well, you know, uh, the defense uh, had a bit of a... Had a you know bit of a bad day today at the defense trial when Johnny Cochran uh, testified and held up the uh, knit cap that was found at the scene of the murder. He was going on about the knit cap when suddenly he was interrupted by OJ, who said, "Hey, hey, easy with that. That's my lucky stabbing cap." <laughs> yeah, and, and I remembered that being an ice bullet that went through my heart. It was so. That's, yeah, my, that's, that's my lucky stabbing hat. Yeah, it's my lucky stabbing hat, and. And <laughs> we, and the thing is, and, and and you know this too, he would say something like that, and I don't know where my camera is, it's there, I guess. That's my luck in stabbing hat. <laughs> <laughs> and he we, would hold in this yeah. way oh, yeah, yeah. that we, nobody does. Hold and hold and hold. And he would do it for a joke that killed, as that one did, but he'd also do it for a joke that he liked or that yeah. you liked, or that you guys liked. Yeah. And if it got nothing. It was like, it wasn't. Some people said, you're punishing the audience for not liking the joke. We know we're, we're giving them enough time to appreciate it. <laughs> um, um, there was one that was like, um, was O.J. Simpson high on drugs the night of the murders? Absolutely not, says a defiant O.J. And a simple test of any of his blood found at the crime scene will prove it. <laughs> you know. Uh, and then there was one like indignation. There was one. Um, there was one uh, when uh, like O.J. Simpson had been criticized because the first Mother's Day after the murders, he played golf in Scotland. Yeah, and it's like um, this weekend, um, uh, O.J. Simpson playing golf in Scotland was heavily criticized and, and not spending the first Mother's Day since Nicole Brown Simpson's murder with his children. And angry Simpson um, you know, responded, idiots, I didn't spend Mother's Day with my kids because I killed their mother. <laughs> <laughs> there, was, there were two more I wanted to bring up because I was very, Norm and I would, would spend like insane amounts of time obsessing over the precise wording yeah. of a joke. Yeah. And I remember there was one 
that I thought actually benefited from our kind of neurotic attention to tail. But it started off as a joke about Penthouse Magazine had, had, had this cover story, which even if you didn't read Penthouse, you would see the cover on newsstands. And it was, um, you know, this week, shocking photos, alien autopsy. Mm-hmm. This is Penthouse Magazine. So, so they claim to be actual photos of an alien autopsy. So the joke, the joke we started out with, which I think would have been good enough, was um, this week Penthouse Magazine uh, released its much-awaited um, photos of an alien autopsy. According to those who have seen the issue, the photos were sharp, clear, and easy to masturbate to. <laughs> and so... So anyway, yes. then yeah, no, I, I thought like, you know what, that there's, that can be better. There's a better rhythm to that. So I, so I suggest, I first suggested that it should be, and uh, Tony's on and quote, easy to masturbate to, because mm-hmm. I just liked it for rhythm. And then I came up with one of my greatest contributions of the season, which was I added the word surprisingly. <laughs> so that... So that the joke became the joke became kind of different. So it was like, according to those who've seen the advanced copies, the photos are sharp, clear, and quote surprisingly easy to masturbate to. <laughs> you got this image of a guy going, you know, I, at first I, I I didn't think this would work, but god damn it, god damn it, this is fucking hot. Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend is sponsored by ADT. Now ADT professionally installs Google Nest products so your home is safe and smart. You can check in on your home and manage your security systems from virtually anywhere. Google Nest cams can tell the difference between a person, an animal, a vehicle, or with the Nest doorbell, even a package. You can know that there's a package out there. I know. And not a person. You don't have to that do helps. anything. Yeah, sometimes a person rings the doorbell and I think it's a package. Anyway, <laughs> and with Nest Aware as part of your monthly ADT service, you can get 30 days of event video history, even smarter notifications like when a familiar or unfamiliar face is seen. Plus, when every second counts, you can trust ADT's 24-7 professional monitoring. You can view video of an alarm event and verify or cancel an alarm with just a tap. Mm. I'm always setting off alarms accidentally. This is helpful for me. Oh, good. When the most trusted name in home security adds the intelligence of Google, well, you got a home with no worries. Go to ADT.com today or call 1-800-ADT-ASAP. Google, Nest Cam, Nest Doorbell, and Nest Aware are trademarks of Google LLC. If most people are being honest, no one really knows what you do for work, right? Yeah, it's true. Yeah, especially if you're in a, what I like to call B2B. Oh, you know? what, what is that? I'll explain. Okay. That's a business doing business with other businesses. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I call it B2B. It's a little thing. It's also, uh, it's a boy band I'm working on. <laughs> anyway, fortunately, LinkedIn has a network of professionals who get what you do and you can reach the right people who matter most to your company because they're LinkedIn. Yeah. That's what they do. LinkedIn has over, this is the fun part to say, one billion members. Are you serious? Yeah. That's not, that's more people than are on earth because there are people on the moon using it in Saturn. (laughs) That's one over 1 billion members on its platform, including 70 million decision makers. God, I'd like to meet a decision maker. Since LinkedIn members are regularly updating their work history, you can precisely build a target audience by job title, industry, company, and more. 
man, you can reach the right people for your, I'm going to say it again, B2B business with LinkedIn ads. Yeah. Gets even better because LinkedIn will give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Mm. There you go. Just go to linkedin.com slash Team Coco to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash Team Coco. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. I think the work that you and Norm did on Update is proof that well, you guys worked really hard. You got fired for it. You know, I, one I, of the people at the top at NBC was a good friend of OJ's. Was his closest friend. Was his closest yeah. friend, uh, and uh, you got fired for that. And um, but you've always thought that was a kind of a proud moment for you because a lot of people reached out when that happened oh, man, and, and that, identified that that was the wrong. I move. had so many. I have to say, I. Norm, I know, took it much harder than I did. I, I, I sort of looked at it philosophically and said, you know what? It's like, you know, the A.E. Hausman poem to an athlete dying young before fame outran the man kind of thing. And, and if that's maybe I have that backwards, too. But, but anyway, um, we were yanked off. And maybe it's that's better than risking that where you peak and then it's downhill. You stick and, around and too yeah, long. Yeah. And, and we, we didn't get to, we weren't put in that position of having to, you know, to make that decision. It was made for us. But um, I know that um, Norm, the story about that, I know you know this story, um, but I think people who are fans of Norm deserve to know this about him. The network went to Norm and said, we want to get rid of Jim Downey and, and, and we just want you to to know you're cool with that right he said no no you can't fire him if you fire him i quit and they go that's crazy i mean you know he's he's not helping you you know uh the segments too mean or whatever and um and he said well no i'm i'm not doing it without him and he never told me that and i didn't hear that for years i heard it from some network executives and i i and, and part of everything else if that had been me that would have been, <laughs> you bet Norm would have heard. You would have and, talked and about yeah, it. Yeah, of course. I mean, come on. Norm and, didn't, and, I mean, he was a uh, very stoic, old world. He came from a different century. Oh, yeah. I mean, I remembered when, he, when he died, you called me and you said, you were mad at me initially. You said, I can't believe you didn't tell me, Conan. And I said, I didn't know. None yeah. of us, none of us yeah. knew. Laurie Joe knew. Uh, yeah, and his, Mark Gervitz, his, his yeah. manager knew. Well, Gervitz his mother, knows everything. His mother yeah. and his son knew. Yeah. And and his brother. So uh, outside of family, it was like three people. Mm -hmm. And he didn't, and I know why he didn't, I mean, I've been told and it made perfect sense, so I believe it. He just didn't want it to ever be about anything but being funny. Yep. He didn't want to be brave or fighting a good fight or, you know, he didn't want to do heartwarming stuff. I was a little hurt that he didn't tell me, but I mean, I talked to him, I guess, I know you may have talked to him more recently than I'd had, but I talked to him certainly the summer of 2021, we were like trying, August. We were trying to get him on my last uh, late night show. It was but, not long before he passed, and we were trying really hard to get him to be, because I wanted nothing more than to him to be one of the last guests. And he was considering it, but then wouldn't do it. And then, uh, I, and, and I think he didn't, he knew that he, he didn't. didn't he look. also didn't, he knew that his appearance was kind of changing yes. and he didn't want to. But, you know, I, if I, I know this is shifting from one kind of bravery to another, but he, one of our, our, my proudest moments was a joke we did. And I, I think it was a Frank joke, Frank Sebastiano. It was a joke where we took the world's most innocuous kind of C-section news story. And it was, it was, we would clip a real news story and show it. 
on the monitor so mm-hmm. that the audience knew this is a real thing. We didn't make it up. And um, we did that for most of our, mm-hmm. our, our things. So the story was like, you know, Denver City Council approves traffic light for Martin Avenue. And so it's, we go, it goes enormous. It's like, this week, the Denver City Council finally, on its third attempt, voted funds for a new traffic light on Martin Avenue. Then he turns dramatically to another camera and goes, maybe they would have voted the funding earlier if instead of a traffic light, it was for rich white men. <laughs> and then, and then yeah. we bring up a lower third. Applaud now. <laughs> and, but that's the kind of stuff that there's not really a great place to laugh in that joke. Right. That's a thing that like Norm, we would we would do our our run through, like we would work on the jokes a bit during the week, but mainly Friday night. And we would, that's when especially I would do a lot of rewriting and, and refining. And then I'd run through stuff with Norm. And then Saturday, we do a run through. And they were always screaming. We were always kind of late, getting in the studio really late because they were, come on, guys, we're, we're losing time. So we'd come down to our run through and we'd, we'd make a few kind of changes, maybe think of some things for Norm to add. And then we'd have a dress. And then my attitude with Lauren Michaels, the producer, the big guy, was always like, Tell us how long you want the segment to be. We're like, because we're the most easily baloney sliced segment. Mm -hmm. And my attitude and Norm kind of agreed. It's like Norm wanted a certain, he didn't want to feel that like we had to have a, we were entitled to a certain amount of the show. But I always argued like anything, if we're cutting lean, we're in good shape, you know? So, I mean, sure, we'll always cut the fat that you, everyone should do that. But if we also have to give up something we don't want to give up, it's probably a good indication. No, no, it's a lot of our stuff can be done next week. Yeah, you know, you know, we we used to we would do six minute updates. We I think we did a five minute. Those, they do like twelve minute updates now. You know, and mm-hmm. they did them before us. And, and and Norm, I will say this: Norm was not crazy about features. Yeah, he wasn't crazy about having other people on the segment. You know, always and he and sometimes I had to like get him to be more involved with yeah, the yeah, guests. Yeah. But um, Seth Meyers was the best ever at interacting with, I mean, he was great at that. I wish Norm yeah. had been a little more playful like Be that. Be a good straight man. But, yeah. but. Um, what I always took away from you, and I, you're in my head a lot over the years that I've been writing and all the years that I've been doing things. Be. And you're surprisingly easy to masturbate to. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you're, <laughs> but you're also in my head for another reason. Uh, no, you're in my head because uh, there's an ethic that I got from you and I also got from Robert Smigel and and I I try to pick from the best, which is if I can lose it, yes, trim the fat, but also sometimes cut into the muscle. Norm would totally throw out something if he came to suspect it was not the kind of laugh we wanted. Mm-hmm. And by the way, he doesn't, he, that, that doesn't mean like it was dirty or something. If it was like cheap or, or yeah, easy yeah. or whatever. And the thing is you could give Norm a choice of like, okay, this, is absolutely guaranteed to kill. It'll get a mini standing ovation, but it's hacky, and we both know it. This is guaranteed to die. I promise you we'll get, you know, death camp silence, <laughs> but it's fucking brilliant. Norm would unhesitatingly yeah. go for the silence. and I. But I would go, yeah, I would too, but I'm not the guy out there. Yeah. He is, and I always fucking love that about him. He would never reject something because it's funny, but they're not going to get, they're going to laugh, you know? And I, I had fights with even with people that you and I both respect who just, oh, man, it killed. It killed. You go, oh, yeah, but come on, man. Right. And, and, and a lot of that is, is these days, especially anything political, 
it's just so the temptation because this is coming up with stuff is hard you know you have to fill time it doesn't feel good you're out there in front of people and you tell a joke and everyone applauds it's a terrible feeling <laughs> it yeah. doesn't feel good yeah you want to just really catch them by surprise and it's, make them it's laugh very soviet and to, uh, you know to go with the applause i don't know and Stalin was funny, which is sad. Stalin? No, Occasionally. Was, yeah, he occasionally could be funny. One. Don't kid yourself. He was... <laughs> <laughs> Joe, Joe. Okay. Joe. Good, Uncle was, Joe. Uncle <laughs> Joe. Joe. Ask your husband. He was a funny guy. Oh, my God. Conan. He grew was, up in the Soviet Union. He was 11. Yeah. So, well, so, oh, but oh, he was okay. highly oh, active in the Soviet Union. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'll ask him about Stalin. He was on was the he funny? Yeah. Was he yeah. a funny guy? Yeah, uh, Lorne Michaels, this is a quote from Lorne Michaels. He called uh, you, Jim Downey, the best political humorist alive. Um, well. That was before the uh, birth three years ago of a hilarious child. <laughs> <laughs> Oglavy Johnson. Um, well, but, let's just, uh, yeah. But I, I, but I've I seen think, the kids stuff. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're so principled, and you're right. Now, um, there's so much political comedy now, which is wailing one way or the other and i find that it's just a i don't know it doesn't feel to me like a satisfying time to be a comedy writer if you're trying to do politics because there's there's so much that's just yeah, there's, a, there's a temptation to enrage the audience i mean you know i mean i don't i mean personally i you know i'm i just fucking loathe trump mm -hmm. as a human being and and but it doesn't mean that every just just attacking him is funny. Mm -hmm. There are interesting ways to attack him, you know? I always like John Mulaney's thing about there's a horse loose in the hospital. That yes. kind of, I mean, yeah. just a sort of an interesting... Mulaney had a great run about Trump and his president was like, there's a horse loose in a hospital and just how odd that was. Uh, it was such it was a, like great, a metaphor. For it was a great Trump metaphor yeah. for, for Trump being president. And what I loved about it was it captured the absurdity of it all but it did it in this way that there was no bile. It was, and and it's very hard. You need to sometimes, it was purely comedic, yeah. which I loved. Yeah. So let's just end this by saying that John Mulaney is better than anyone we know. <laughs> is that the point you were trying to make? He's very good, mm -hmm. very funny man. Mm -hmm. um, he, when, when Mulaney first came to the show as a writer, um, you were talking about like my, you know, I, I like to sort of identify people and I didn't, I didn't find him or hire him, but I was walking through and this is really about Mulaney and not me, but I was walking through the studio and it, by the end of my career, I was, you know, I was like, you know, 60 years old and I, you know, I, I was aware of, of the age gap between me and the, and having once been the, the very youngest writer, I was now massively the oldest writer. And, um, so I didn't, I didn't hang out. I didn't do the late night things. I wrote from home. Like, you know, I, I live in upstate New York near Cooperstown. And so I, I would be at home Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and then I'd write my piece and I'd, I'd dictate it. I always dictate my pieces because I, I, they're, you know, they have to be spoken and they have to be speakable and they have to be, you're, they're going to be heard and not read. And so you need to, in, in when I'm dictating them, I'm changing them. I go, oh, wait a minute, hang on, I'm changing, you know. And anyway, then they have it a read through, and then I'm, I'm told if it's in or not. And if it's in, I drive down to New York. And anyway, so I was in the studio on Saturday, and I don't even, I'm not even sure I'd met Mulaney. It was like the second show. And I'm walking through the studio, and I'm, and they're rehearsing one of his, pe he had a piece on, I think it was like his, his second show. And he had a, this, this, this hilarious piece on. And there's a great sort of, 
the host was um, Tim McGraw, who's a really good actor, very funny guy. And he, it was like a, a country kind of um, a show where he does like practical jokes, mm -hmm. but he's such a, a soft-hearted sweet guy. He keeps like apologizing <laughs> for, it's hard to explain. You'd yeah, have yeah, to see the sure. piece. But, and I heard it and I know this makes me sound like an arrogant asshole, but it reminded me of that there was a story about Ted Williams when Hank Aaron was a rookie. Ted Williams is playing, uh, he was somehow involved in the, I didn't know they had interleague games or anything, but, but um, Hank Aaron is, is, is warming up and Ted Williams is sitting in the dugout and hears from the way the ball is coming off Hank Aaron's bat that he's never heard that before. Mm -hmm. And he storms out there, Who's, who was just taking batting practice? And it was Hank Aaron and, and Ted Williams, like, and I sort of had that, it was akin to that. I'm not comparing myself to Ted Williams. No. I am comparing John Mulaney to Hank Aaron, though. He's but a lot I, like Hank Aaron. And, but I, I'm saying that I, I'm walking through the studio and I hear this and I go, that's a new writer. That's a new, we don't, that's not a writer I know. Yeah, yeah. That's, we have a new writer or a guest writer because that, that wasn't, that's not, and I'm listening to the piece and I go, that was not written by a writer whose work I'm so, and I was that's right. Cool. I was that's right. Cool. It turned out it was, it was um, John and he went on to write a lot of great stuff. And, yeah, um, and then he's trying stand up, but <laughs> you know, whatever. He's yes. young. He's, he's young. young. He'll get it. He'll get it. He will get it. Hang in there, sir. Um, Jim, I will. I'll. The, the highest uh, compliment I can pay you is that uh, I, I wasn't joking. You're in my head a lot, and I think that's true of every comedy writer of my generation and for generations before and after me. Oh, I think. That's awful. What nice. would Jim think about this? Would this meet Jim's standard? Uh, and that's a real gift you've given to all of us, an incredible yeah. gift. Seriously, you've given us a, a, a you are uncompromising uh, and um, proud to know you. Thanks for giving me a shot way back in 1988. And, Would have been um, a crime not to. Well, I'm glad you feel that crime way. Crime against comedy. <laughs> okay, but seriously, I'm, I'm just, I'm thrilled when you agreed to do this, I thought this well, is a, this I've is been, a. We've been talking about my doing this for quite a few years. Yeah. So I'm twenty two years, and this doesn't Long have before to be the last podcast. time I do it. No, this is the last I, time. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. It really. It's been a nightmare. Uh, <laughs> I never want to see you again. This is oh, it. Oh man. Yeah. Sorry. That's it's really. Yeah. Unduly harsh. <laughs> um, <laughs> Next time um, you're on, I want you to, you dubbed with your own voice the whole time. <laughs> Coded, it is a pleasure to be here. I must say, the last time, this, these microphones. <laughs> these microphones are too long. <laughs> Jim, thank you so much for doing this. Well, thank really. you. Thank you, Sona. Thanks, everybody. I get a special thank Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. With Conan O'Brien, Sona Movsesian, and Matt Gourley. Produced by me, Matt Gourley. Executive produced by Adam Sachs, Nick Liao, and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson and Cody Fisher at Earwolf. Theme song by The White Stripes. Incidental music by Jimmy Vivino. Take it away, Jimmy. Our supervising producer is Aaron Blair, and our associate talent producer is Jennifer Samples. Engineering by Eduardo Perez. Additional production support by Mars Melnick. Talent booking by Paula Davis, Gina Batista, and Britt Kahn. 
You can rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts, and you might find your review read on a future episode. Got a question for Conan? Call the Team Coco hotline at 669-587-2847 and leave a message. It, too, could be featured on a future episode. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded.